So we started a couple weeks ago into a series through Hebrews 11 that's uh, been dubbed the, the Hall of Faith. Um, and it, it's just example after example after example of people who, who did exactly what the Bible is telling us to do in regard to faith, which is to, to live by it, to walk by faith and not by sight. And that is an incredibly difficult thing for us to do sometimes. And so the, the author of Hebrews, is, he's named all these people like, this is how Abel did it, this is how Enoch did it, this is how Noah did it. And so what we're doing is we're just taking our time to go through this chapter really slowly and see what, what we can learn from, from these folks. So in chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 4, and we're really going to spend a lot of time on verse 4. So that's going to stay up on the screen most of the time. We may ping pong around a little bit more. But let's look at, let's look at verse 4 and uh, see what it says. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Okay? Now that, is, that verse kind of ends weird, so I'm going to go in the opposite order. Uh, so what does it mean he still speaks, even though he's dead? Uh, that's not as creepy as it may sound at first. Um, what that's really saying is that his, like his example to us, his, the faith that he had in, in God, is still speaking to us generations and generations and generations later. So that's really what it's saying, is that there, we still have things we can learn from Abel, even though he was, was like the fourth person ever like, to walk the earth, you know? That his example is still something that we can follow. So, I, I believe that in that verse, uh, like in that portion of that verse, I think there's, there's something intriguing to be like, okay, so our Creator wants to speak to us through the example of Abel. Uh, I don't know, I, I find that incredibly interesting. And I've learned a lot more than I thought I would uh, from studying through this a little bit. So that's kind of what that last part means. Uh, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So that God has something for us to learn um, where it says, uh, by faith he offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. The, here, here's, here's something that we really need to, to kind of all be on the same page about from the outset. Um, that the reason that the sacrifice was accepted... On, uh, from, from Abel is because God accepted it. I know that sounds really dumb. But that's why it was accepted, because God said yes. It wasn't, it wasn't the sacrifice itself. And we're going to talk about exactly what it was in, in a few minutes. But, but you know, like the, the whole Bible, you know, like it starts off and, and there's, just, there's a lot of like just, um, there's creation and the people are, are there and then they start, you know, there's all these generations that come and they're populating the earth and all this stuff is happening and then uh, eventually there's this system put in place of sacrifices. And, uh, and, and so we see this uh, a lot, especially like in the Old Testament, you get into Exodus and Leviticus and stuff, and you know, they, would bring, they would bring an animal or they would bring the first of the, of the crops or they would bring you know, money sometimes. And they would bring these things and it was an, an offering that was made. 
that they're, they're, like you're literally saying, like you bring this lamb and you're like, here, I'm offering this to you. God, I'm, I, I'm offering this to you. And sometimes, uh, just in human nature, because we have such an earning-based mindset, we're thinking like, oh, it's like God looks at the actual lamb, and he's like, oh, that's a pretty good lamb. Okay, I'll take that one. You know? And he looks at the next guy, and he's like, oh, that's even better than him. Yeah, I'll take it. Okay. Uh, and somebody else comes in, and they're like, wait a second. What's wrong with this lamb? It's a funny-looking lamb. Why are you bringing me a funny-looking lamb? Go get a better lamb. And he goes to the back of the line. And the next guy comes in. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. This guy right here. That's the kind of, that's what I need. It's not about the, like the, the thing that you're offering, you know. That there's a deeper connection that's there. And so when it says that, uh, that he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his, sac- his gift, it's the acceptance of that. Like that's, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's not about the thing. It's about God's acceptance of the thing. That's, what, that's the goal. Um, and so it's not some like legalistic deal. You're not paying your taxes when you bring an offering to God. It's very different. So the federal government, they, you know, they just want your money. And some, to a certain degree, they don't really care where it came from. They just want your money. They don't care if you're giving cheerfully, if you're a patriot. They don't care anybody. Any of that kind of stuff. They're just like, if you, we need you to pay this by this date or else we're going to come after you, you know, that kind of stuff. And God doesn't work that way. Um, and so, from the outset of the Bible, we're, we learn something in this story, and, and, and here's, here's what it is. Um, that when it comes to an offering, God looks at the heart of the giver. That there's a connection between the, the act of offering, of saying, like, I'm here, God, I'm offering this to you. There's a connection between that action and the heart of the one who is giving. We see it kind of you know, play out in different places. Uh, I kind of made like a little list here. Um, and we we're not going to turn to these verses or even put them on the screen. I'm just going to reference them so you just trust me uh, to a degree. First uh, Samuel 15, God tells us that obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience pointing to the heart. So he's saying, you, you bring, bring me a sacrifice and that's fine, but obedience is more important than that. So he says, I'm looking at the heart. In 1 Samuel 16, uh, when, it, when they're actually like, looking to find the king, God says, uh, don't pay attention to like, how tall he is or how good looking he is or if he's strong or whatever. He's like, that's the kind of stuff that, you, that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. That's, that's what impresses me. That's what I'm drawn to. Uh, places all throughout the Bible where we're shown this, that God, God is in, he's an internal like, like connector. That's how he connects with us. It's internal stuff. In Isaiah chapter 1, he tells them, he's like, you know what? Your, your sacrifices, they're a burden to me. Like, my soul hates them. You don't hear God use the word hate very often in the Bible, but that's one of the places he does. He's like, I hate it. I hate it when you just are just making these offerings and your heart is just completely far from me. He's like, just, it weighs me down. I, I, I hate it. Um, Jesus uh, said some similar things in Matthew 23. He's talking about the Pharisees. He said, you're like, you're like a cup that's all, it's all clean and pristine on the outside, but the inside's filthy and disgusting, full of death. He says, you're like a tomb. Uh, and for them, it, was like a, it wasn't like, like here. They would have like a, it was a, a bone box, basically. He's like, you're like a bone box 
that is that, that you've painted it, you've made it, it's whitewashed, it's beautiful, you're like, oh, it's the most beautiful bone box I've ever seen. And then you forget you're full of dead, decaying bones. You're disgusting, you know, on the inside, but you're all worried about the outside. Jesus says, no, 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 clean the inside, take care of the inside. And so from the beginning of the Bible all the way to this moment, something God is teaching us over and over and over again. He's like, you guys are concerned with all this external stuff, and I'm, I'm just looking at the heart. I'm listening to your intentions and your attitudes and your motives, and that's what I'm drawn to. I give grace to the humble. I oppose the proud. I give grace to the humble. And so that's just very, very important. So the reason that, you know, we're like, why did, why did God accept this sacrifice? It's like, well, he, he accepted it because he accepted it. It wasn't the sacrifice itself. It was, it was something else. There's something deeper that's going on. And so part of the question, you know, you hang out in the first part of the verse. You're like, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So the natural question is like, well, why, why Abel and not Cain, you know? Why was Abel's sacrifice more acceptable? Why was it better? Why was it more pleasing? And well, it's because of the heart. I mean, that was the, that was the thing. The issue really isn't why. Why Abel and not Cain? It, well, we know the answer. It's because it's the heart. God looks internally. He looks at the heart. So the real question is not why, but it's what. You know, What about Abel's heart was different than what's going on in Cain's heart. And what do we learn from Abel? You know, a lot of times the focus is on Cain. You know, like you don't want to be Cain. You don't want to be like Cain. You know, Cain was the bad guy. He was this, 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 this. And really, here we are in Hebrews 11, and it's like he mentions Cain because the, it's a pivotal part of the story. But this verse is all about Abel. It's like you want somebody to imitate? Imitate Abel. And all through the Bible, God's telling us to imitate people. Of course, we imitate Christ, you know, absolutely, but constantly, constantly, God is saying, like, you know, you imitate those around you who live by faith. You imitate those who are pursuing the Lord. You look at those who are living by faith, and you're like, oh, that's what it looks like in, like, real, like, flesh and blood life today. That's what it looks like. And so whether it's people in this room or people that you know, or whether it's, like, one of the first people to ever walk the earth, we have something to learn. So let's look at a little bit about why uh, not why Abel, but what about Abel that was so pleasing. Um, so normally I would say, and probably over the next several weeks, we'll, we'll do a lot of flipping back to uh, the original text, but I don't want to do that because if we do that, we'll be here forever. And I'll be apologizing to every nursery worker and everybody that has a kid and everybody that's waiting to eat that dinner back there that was a missionary, and I'll be apologizing to everybody because there's so much here that I don't, really just don't trust myself to be brief. And so I'm just going to summarize it. All right? Is that cool? You, no? Okay. All right. So I'm just going to summarize it. I just need you to trust me that this is, what, this is what went on. All right? It's in Genesis 4 if you want to go read it later. All right. So you have two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain is the oldest. Uh, Cain is the firstborn son of Adam and Eve, as in like the Adam and Eve, the ones that broke the world. Okay. So uh, he is there. <laughs> He's their firstborn son. And uh, it tells us in Genesis 4 that, that he is a farmer. Like, he works the ground. All right? So he's, he works the ground. Uh, then they have a son, and his name is Abel. And Abel is a shepherd. It says he tends to the flocks. And so you have two, two brothers. They each have different occupations. Um, and we don't know much about the population of the world past them at this point. So 
uh, close-knit family, probably, right? Uh, very, very small. And so, uh, so, and that's kind of all that we know about them, but there's a lot of things we can assume about them. And maybe I'll get into some of that in a few minutes. But, but what, what, what it says is, is that much. Cain worked the ground. Abel was a shepherd. And so uh, Cain brought an offering to the Lord. Abel brought an offering to the Lord. Cain's was an offering from, uh, of the crops, you know, some of the, the fruit of his labor, uh, because that's what he did. Abel brought an animal sacrifice, fruit of his labor, because that's what he did. And God looked at Cain's and said no, and he looked at Abel's and said yes. So, of course, a little, maybe a little sibling rivalry, maybe a little something, Cain got super mad. And he got angry. And so what God does, Cain gets angry, and God comes to him, and he's like, hey, why are you so mad? Why are you angry? You know it doesn't have to be this way, right? Like, you know that, that your sacrifice can be accepted. You know that, right? doesn't have to be this way. But when you find that it is this way, it's sin. And the, the, the translation I have, it's crouching at your door. You know? It says, and you have to rule over it. So in, in God rejecting his sacrifice, he also comes to him, and he starts to tend to him and work with him a little bit, you know? And I, and I was, and a part of why I didn't want to go back and read it is because I was afraid I would just chase this forever. But let me just, this little sidebar for some of you who are going to, you're, you're going to identify with Cain a lot. And you're going to get really frustrated in a few minutes because you're going to be like, oh, so if my heart isn't perfect and God doesn't want anything to do with me? I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. See, God, God very, was very loving and very gracious when he rejected his sacrifice. It's the best thing he could have done. He says, no, I'm not going to let you appease me. He said, no. But then he went to him, and he ministered to him, and he cared for him. He tried to speak truth to him and tried to lead him forward. Um, it reminded me, this might be a terrible analogy, but I think we've all had like super good English teachers and super bad English teachers, probably, at some point in our upbringing. And uh, there's, there would be the English teacher where like, you would turn in an essay, and you'd get back, and it would say, like, D, you know, whatever. And no markings, no whatever, just subjective. I think this is a D, you know. And then other teachers would give you a D, and they would maybe have some things underlined or maybe some of that. And Let's say that you turned in essay after essay, and every single time it's just terrible grades. Some teachers wouldn't really care, and they'd just be like, you're just terrible at English, and that's all there is to it. And other ones would say, hey, if you want to stay after school, I'd be glad to go through stuff with you and kind of show you why your sentence structure is atrocious and why you change tenses like I've never seen before in my life, and why you can't understand that there are three forms of there and three forms of two and that kind of stuff. And so I'd be, <laughs> I'd be glad to uh, just kind of work that in. And, and, but I'd be glad to work with you a little bit. I just want you to know that, that you know, I'm here to help you. That's what God does with Cain. And so it's not a rejection of him. It's a rejection of his offering because his offering indicates something weird is happening in his heart and God's not going to sit back and let weird things happen in your heart. So, if you're like, oh, I'm kind of like Cain, I'm kind of like Cain, God don't want anything to do with me. No, God meets you where you are and wants to lead you down the path of righteousness. So don't, like, wave that banner of, you know, whatever. That's not what this is about. Uh, This is about Abel, but that's a little sidebar for you people who are pro-Cain, just to kind of let you know that. And so, keep in mind, God doesn't reject Cain. He rejects the offering. 
And that's really different. So Cain gets angry and that kind of stuff. And so one day they go out, uh, Cain and Abel go out to a field. Cain murders his own brother. Presumably out of, because he's jealous and he's angry and he's like, whatever. And he kills him and God comes to him and, you know, God sometimes asks these like questions that kind of make you laugh. But he's like, where's your brother? And he's like, oh, I don't know. It's like, my brother's keeper. You know, he catches this attitude with God and God's like, okay. It's, and there's a little bit of like, I kind of told you that things were heading in this direction. And, and there's this great, he ministers to him again. And there are consequences, but he ministers to him in this. And the story of Cain, one day I'm going to preach on it, just not tonight. But it's just a tremendous, tremendous thing. And that's how God works. But it's clear, based on his, his response and his reaction, that Cain, Cain was not okay internally. So that meant that his, his offering, the thing he was offering to God, that was not okay. It was not an acceptable sacrifice. Because the inside was all just a wreck. He was a bone box. And he was trying to be a pretty bone box, and it just wasn't going to happen. So, let's flip back over to Abel. Uh, God accepting his sacrifice indicates that his heart was, like, he was in it for the right reasons. Like, he was, he was doing this out of true faith. And maybe he didn't even realize it at the time, but I really think that he did. Like, I think, I really just get a sense that he knew what he was doing. So God accepted it. And so you go back to Hebrews 11, and we're like, okay, well, there, there it is. That's why it was more acceptable. There's something going on. But if you look, if you skip to verse 6, see 4, 5, and 6 kind of, kind of work together a little bit, and, uh, and really the ones after them as well. But uh, So this week and next week when we talk about Enoch, they both kind of have some momentum towards 6. And verse 6 helps us understand a lot of things about Abel's heart. So what is it about Abel's sacrifice that was acceptable? Well, look at 6. It says, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Hmm. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So why? Well, Abel, Abel had faith and Cain did not have faith. That's what it comes down to. God is accepting and is pleased by those who have faith, whose hearts are full of faith. And when your heart is not full of faith, He lovingly says no. But it doesn't have to be that way. Let's, let's, let's deal with this, you know. And so that's what it comes down to, is these, like we live by faith, and faith is pleasing to God. Um, and it, If you look, if you break the verse down a little bit, whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Believe that He exists. He rewards those who seek Him. That sounds a lot like verse 1. Look at verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. All right? What are the things hoped for? They're the promises that He's made us. Right? That it's, we're hoping that God is actually, he, he is who He said He is, and He's doing the things He said He's going to do, and He's going to care for us in the way He said He's going to care for us. In our community groups this week, we're going to take a passage out of Isaiah, and we're going to look through, we're going to try and just let Him, ask His Spirit to help these promises just jump off the page in these regards, because these are things we need to grab onto. 
the assurance of things hoped for. And so verse 6 says that we're hoping that he exists, right? That's one of the things we're hoping, like, hey, he's really here. And that he rewards those who seek him, as promises that we're clinging to, right? The conviction of things not seen. Some of that being the fact that we don't see him, like he's not standing in the room with us. You know, he's in the room with us, but he's not standing here where we can see him. We, we don't see him at work all the time. We don't always see the things that are happening. There's lots of unseen things, and, and yet we trust in those. Also, the unseen of the future. We're moving into the unknown. And, and so verse 6 tells us that you have to believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so what verse 6 tells us about Abel's heart is that Abel believed in God. He believed, like, no, no, like, my creator exists and he rewards those who seek him. He's making good on like the things that he has said. He's caring for us. And so here, this is what I'm offering to him. It was the action that came from that believing heart that God was so pleased with. And so for you and I to learn from that is that's really, really important. And we're going to cover a lot of different aspects of faith uh, as over this semester as we go through these different stories. But I think that there's, that there's something that, we need, that, that God wants to bring out tonight. Um, and think about it this way. Uh, if we think about it in very basic terms, okay, so Abel had faith. Abel believed. Cain did not believe. Uh, both of them had the same information to work with. You know, they both had the same stuff, right? So the last couple of weeks, I've put some questions up, you know, to kind of process through walking by faith. And one of them was like, what's he leading me into? Um, what are the things I'm hoping for? Uh, what are the things I've seen that help inform, you know, the situation? And, uh, you know, and all that really involves like, okay, what are the promises of God? And what, what have I seen him do? What have I experienced him do in my own life? What have I seen him do in the lives around me? Which, which is a lot of why we're, we're moving this direction with community groups is that we keep sharing, we keep sharing these things. We keep adding to these lists of like, man, he's done this, and 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 he's done this. Last week we like just plopped creation right in the middle of it too, right? Like he's made all of this. And so he's got this power and authority. That he just speaks things into existence out of nothing, you know? And so we're just accumulating this ridiculous list of reasons why he is totally trustworthy. And so Cain and Abel, if you think, if, let's, let's think about how like, logically like, possible this is. They had the same stuff to work with. You know? They didn't grow up in different places. They didn't go and see the world. They didn't have all these experiences. They didn't have different sets of friends. They didn't have all kind of baggage. They had the same parents, lived in the same place, right outside the Garden of Eden, apparently, and they were like doing these things. They, they had the same information to work with. And they had the same parents who, were telling, who must have told them something. I was, I, my head about exploded this week, just trying to think, like, okay, where did, where did like, the offering idea even come from? Because according to the timeline, you know, like, the Levitical law hadn't been given yet. None of that stuff had come around. There's just four people on the planet... So was that an Adam and Eve thing? Did God tell them to do this? Like, how did this work? Was it a response to watching God have to kill an animal to clothe them, you know? And like, was it like a, I mean, I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't even wrap my mind around it. But at some point, 
both of these sons learned, okay, something, something needs to be offered to our God. And maybe it's the simple act of, you know, maybe the parents sat down and they were like, look, um, you, know why, you know why we can't go in the garden. You know why the angel guards it now, right? Because we messed it up. That's where we were created. That's where we lived. And we were there to, to, to work, work the garden and to keep it and to guard it. And we messed that up. Because we lost sight of something very important. We kind of thought we were God for a little bit. We thought eating of the, of the tree would make us God. And it didn't. And so now we understand that. We understand our place and we understand our role. And we understand these things are not ours. And so maybe the the concept of offering something to God came back from saying, like, well, these lambs, you know, these sheep, they're not ours. These crops are not ours. Everything is the Lord's. So you're offering this, saying, like, I'm acknowledging this is yours. When we give at the table down here, when we, we're tithing and we're giving, we're saying this, these paychecks that we make at our jobs, whether big or small, uh, frequent or sporadic, it doesn't really matter. This money's not ours in the first place. We're giving, here's this an offering. And so their parents, like they both heard the same stories from their parents. And every single reason that Abel had to believe and place his faith in God, Cain had the same reasons, and he looked at those things and said, no. No. And every reason that Cain had to say no, Abel had the same reasons, and yet he said yes. They had the same list. They had the same experiences. They had the same stories. They had the same parents that broke the entire world. They had the same list of consequences, the same everything. And one of them looked and said, absolutely. And the other one said, I don't think so. And so the aspect of faith we're going to emphasize for tonight is this, is that there is a cognitive choice when you place your faith in the Lord. Like it's a mental, like you think about it, and you say, I'm, I'm going to place my faith in him. It's not emotional. But we live in a world that's just driven by this freight train of emotion all the time. Just spend 30 seconds on Facebook and you'll see, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's amazing. So we let our emotions bully us. We let our emotions take, take a day that's just a day and make it a terrible day, or make it a great day, or make it a, you know, ten different varieties of a day, all within a day. And when, when we're feeling a certain way, then that's just the way it all is. So if you're feeling like, oh man, my life is a wreck, then your life is a wreck in your mind. You know, like that's a fact in your mind, and no one can convince you otherwise, because you feel it, right? And I don't mean like you, I'm not pointing at you, I'm saying like, like us in general as a culture, that's kind of how we are. And then if something goes your way, you're like, everything's great, right? Everything's great. You're like, no, everything's not great. You just feel great. That's why we're constantly looking for things to make us feel better. Trying to find some sort of outlet, some sort of, of a, an idol that we can go to that's like, uh, help me escape the misery of this situation. Let me just completely sink into this, you know, this relationship or this substance or this you know, whatever, and there's just, it's just so much that's there. And those kind of things, sometimes, if we're not careful, they let us, they, they did, like, determine our faith, you know? So, so something happens in life, you know, with, you know, your 
with a relationship, you know, with your spouse or best friends or kids or parents or something like that, or it happens at work or it happens at school, something happens and, and you, you have a choice to make. Like there's, there really is like a Cain or Abel like situation that you're facing. And you're working, with, you're working with the same information. You know, it's the same creator, same creation, same ex- all the lists of things that you've seen him do, same promises in the Bible. Like we're all working, I'll use the Bible as an example, we're all working with the same, same thing. We have to realize that, 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 that there's a cognitive moment where we are like intentionally saying, I'm going to choose this, or saying, I'm not going, I'm, I don't believe that. I don't mean this in like a, oh, he's talking about this is like a free will thing, or what about sovereignty? I'm not, I'm not talking about saving faith. I'm talking about living by faith. There just comes a moment where, where you're like, okay, how am I going to handle this? And so faith is a choice. There's an element of choice in it that you choose to walk by faith or to walk by emotion or to walk by fear, to walk by circumstances or to walk by whatever. And I think another thing too, like, like here's Cain and Abel, like I wonder uh, just the relational dynamic there, you know, how, you know how easily influenced we are by what other people are doing and stuff. And so regardless of what Cain was going to do, what Big Brother was going to do, right? Abel was like, no, 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 I'm doing, my, I'm doing my thing. I'm making a choice. And so what others do, doesn't, they don't matter any more than your emotions matter or circumstances matter. There comes a point where we choose. And so, uh, one of the things that we learn from Abel and his example for us to walk in and follow is we make the choice. And so he listened to his parents, saw the garden there, looked around, you know, all the creation, all this kind of stuff, and was like, all right, I'm choosing to believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. I've heard my parents. And there's some really good, like, you, if, you, if you read the end of, end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4, there's some pretty good indications about Adam and Eve's response. Because they had probably every reason to be, like, really, really self-centered and bitter and angry toward the Lord. But they had thousands more reasons to trust Him and listen to Him and follow Him and obey Him. When, when, uh, when Eve had Cain, she said, it's by the Lord's help. That's what she said. She wasn't like, oh, I'm awesome, I'm woman, I'm the bringer of life. She's like, no, the Lord helped me. It's by His help. I think Abel listened to his parents talk about the Lord and saw creation and was like, yep, I'm going to choose to do this. And Cain looked and said, no. So for you and I, you want to, you want to live by faith and not by sight? Don't sit back and wait till you feel like it. Don't sit back and wait till your circumstances are like, no, I think, I think things are pretty much leveled out. I think, it's, I think I can live by faith now. No, it's a choice. And you choose, and you say, even though things are chaotic, and even though I don't understand what's going on internally, and I'm just, I don't really even trust my own decisions right now, and, and, and even though things seem really impossible, and even though this, and even though this, and even though this, I'm choosing to believe in this moment, in the goodness of my God. 
and you follow him, like you go. And people might think that you're just insane. You know, they might think it's ridiculous that you're like choosing to believe that God is good and that he is caring for you and that the 23rd Psalm is real. and All those kinds of things. They might think, right, how can you think that when, when you look at your life and you look at this and you look at this and you look at this and you go, I, I have all the information. I have it all. I'm looking at the information. I have all the data. My faith is not blind. My faith is ridiculously informed and I'm making a choice to follow him. To trust him. And so my next step is this, or my next step is this. So I don't know, you know where this like, fits in with you, uh, but I guarantee all of us are facing something because that's life in Christ is living by faith, not by sight. And so maybe think about Abel. Maybe learn a little bit from Abel, who looked at all the information and said, yeah, I'm, even though this whole thing seems kind of strange, and even though my, my big brother like, is making fun of me because that's what big brothers do, even though all that's going on, I'm going to make this offering. I'm going to offer, for you and I, it's our lives, right? We're a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. And so I hope that we can learn something from him. Uh, And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing a little bit, uh, just in response to this God, because that's what Abel was responding to, who God is. So let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you uh, for examples like Abel. And although um, although it was such a long time ago and and all that, God, it's pretty obvious that we can learn from this guy. And I can see why you made sure that not only in, in chapter 11, but all just sprinkled throughout Scripture, he is an example for us. Because he made an offering by faith. He chose to believe that you exist and that you reward those who seek you. And God, we need your help to, uh, to not let our emotions or circumstances or fears or whatever uh, cloud our judgment and get in the way of us being able to look at you and say, I'm choosing to follow you. God, we need your help to um, really just to push through those circumstantial things and to build our lives on you as our rock and not on sand that's shifting or ground that is faulty. And so, Lord, help us uh, just to process these things. And um, we know that, that you meet us where we are. You met Cain where he was, you met Abel where he was, you meet us. And you look at us and you say, just come as you are, but you're not going to stay that way. And so um, we know that you call us to take steps of faith, but you also empower those steps. So I pray that whatever it is we're facing, that you'll help us to stay in touch with what's real and true. Help us to choose you. And we would offer our lives to you in faith. And as we sing, I pray, God, that this would just be good truth that we just pack in on top of the things that you're doing. Um, that this would seal in some of the things you're stirring in us and 
encourage us as we move forward.